This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Newcastle United crash out of Europe on a gripping night in the group of death. They were through, then PSG were going out, then Dortmund scored. One of those great cheers at a ground because of something happening elsewhere. Transistor radio time, but then PSG, then Milan, then Milan again. And it's PSG scraping through and Milan into the Europa League. Not just goals, but goal line clearances, Mike Mannion's right hand. And a fear that the group stages we'll never see again are actually quite good. Elsewhere, Porto have too much for Shakhtar, a famous win for Antwerp, and Man City unearth some excellent youngsters. Boy, do they need them. Celtic finally win a game. There's a Premier League preview, Liverpool, Man U, and nine other matches. You worry for United, you really do. There'll be a jubilant, gushing and laboured Fulham minute. A bit on Chiellini's retirement and looking at this panel, some Nordicness somewhere or another. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Zvonimir says, the greatest laughs of the pod assembled. Archie Rintat, welcome. Hello. Hello, Nikki Bandini. I'm really looking forward to my Nordic minute. <laughs> yes, I can't wait for that, mm. that too. Lars Sivertsen, hello. Hi, Max. Nason says, with Newcastle and Manchester United both heading out of Europe, how does one balance the mixed feelings of it looking bad for the Premier League getting a fifth Champions League spot against it being absolutely hilarious? Yeah, 10 years since two English sides have finished bottom of their group. Uh, Newcastle's does feel pretty different to Manchester United's last night. It, it was, it was Archie, such an exciting night. Wasn't it? I mean, I presume you had your you were focused on on Dortmund PSG, but just so much was happening at both grounds. Yeah, of course, I was I was checking in regularly with what was happening at, at Newcastle. I've I've got a, a, a few close friends who are Newcastle fans. Some of my best friends are Newcastle fans. <laughs> Good. I took I took one to the Dortmund game um, uh, a few weeks ago, and I was continually getting texts of like, "What's happening?" Why haven't Dortmund scored yet? They have scored. Why have they let PSG scored? Uh, <laughs> why have they let PSG score even? Yeah, it, it, it was. And I, I think that to have a group where every team in it is playing for something right down to the final kick of it was was really exciting. And, and also, both games were wild and brilliant and... Just it, it, everything felt like next goal wins from the very yeah. first moment, and yeah, loved it. Yeah, there was a time last where basically both games 
were were there was no midfield in either, <laughs> and it was just basketball, and it was impossible to know where to look. Yeah, no, it, it was utterly chaotic, and uh, I, I guess that's what you get. I mean, Dortmund are <laughs> Dortmund are Dortmund, as Archie will tell us more about. But uh, I just think Newcastle. It, it, it probably wasn't the smartest way to go about it, but I kind of enjoy how they just didn't adapt the way they played to Europe at all when they got into the Champions League. They were like, we're going to still do this sort of England, the English sort of transitional, <laughs> let's transitional game of getting everyone forward as quickly as we can and not really looking after possession, and then everyone has to run back again. So this sort of back and forth thing, I'm not sure it necessarily did them any favours in this group, this approach, but it, it did make the games quite entertaining, I'll say that, and mm. this was certainly uh, in that bracket. All right, let's focus on St. James's Park for a bit then um nicky newcastle started so well it was a brilliant first half it's a great question you know given that chiellini's retiring you know how it, from neil saying how would chiellini have reacted to the tamori block if he was a teammate he'd have been high-fiving and chest pumping <laughs> and i mean it's amazing clearance joe linton's goal is great and and newcastle were, were great and ac milan were not great in that first half yeah, I think Killini probably would have reacted about as enthusiastically as Anthony Gordon did to knocking the ball out for a throw-in after three minutes. I mean, that was it was such an <laughs> aggressive start to the game from Newcastle. And it was, I don't know, I was, I was watching it and thinking, actually, the way Newcastle started that game, a more intelligent and self-confident team than Milan, I think, right from the start, might have thought... There's some over enthusiasm here that we can that we can play with, right? Like when a team's that riled up by their own crowd, sometimes they leave you space, leave you opportunities. But Milan aren't a very confident or or smart team at the moment, and and they didn't play like one in the first half. And and Newcastle absolutely threatened to overwhelm them. Um, and and you know Newcastle played easily the better football in that first half. I thought that it wasn't. A revolutionary idea, but it was certainly the right idea from Eddie Hauer to look at Rafael Leao, who's just come back from injury, with Florenzi behind him instead of Teo Hernandez, who normally have quite a good sort of partnership and understanding, and go, I bet there'll be some space down that side. And there was. Leao kept trying to push up. Florenzi doesn't push up as aggressively as, as Teo did. There were gaps between them all the time. And Kieran Trippi is an excellent fullback and, and was exploiting that really, really well. It, it's a wonder that Milan got to nearly the hour mark having only conceded one goal of course Fikayo Tamori's challenge um, you know put it in the Louvre and all those other cliches it was a sensational challenge I thought he was absolutely magnificent tonight I know already we're going to talk about Newcastle's injury list but Milan are out five centre-backs at the moment Fikayo Tamori is the only fit centre-back in that squad but Newcastle have to score more than once with the domination that they had of that, the game for, for as long as they had it and, and when that goal came back for Milan. I mean, even though Newcastle hit the bar afterwards, once Milan had a foothold in the game, I thought, I, I think this is going to go their way in the end, mm. and it did. I mean, obviously you put that in the Louvre, but just slightly lower than Nicolas Sula's <laughs> clearance from Mbappe, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Michael says, with Christian Pulisic instrumental in knocking Newcastle out of the Champions League, is this the perfect day for the Football Weekly anti-agendas? Uh, yeah, I mean, Giroud's touch for Pulisic is so good, isn't it? He's just such a... It's it, so It's good. such an intelligent... There's so much going on. He's so bright in, in that moment. Um, a bit like, I think, full Krug for Adeyemi, if I think. Was it full Krug who, play, who played it to Adeyemi? It was really mm-hmm. like, great composure yeah. there. I'm surprised, though, Max. You've, you've not gone in on... You've not gone in on Joel Linton's goal. That was what, was, what <laughs> like, a hit, yeah. Like, of, 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 but also just the way that he celebrated. Yeah. Like, mm. he just stood there as if like, yep, 
I do this every week. And just like how everybody around them is losing his shit. And you can just stand there after scoring a goal like that and just be like, yeah, I just did that. Like, what's going on? Maybe he hits those in training like every single day. He's just been going through a strange sort of five, six year period, (laughs) never doing it in the games. Doesn't seem likely, but. Yeah. To be fair to Joe Linton, like, like his kind of transformation is sort of, he's, he's sort of the epitome of what Eddie Howe can do to a player on the pitch, isn't he? You know, he was a lump. You know, he was a, a championship target man. The thing is, is what, I I don't know if, if it's, I can't remember too many times when I've seen a player score the goal that they look like they should score, look like they were made to score. Like you look at Joel Linton and you would say, if you were going to score the goal that perfectly embodied you, it would be the goal that he scored last night. Just a one touch and then thump into the top corner. Like it, yeah. it was as if, yeah, his it's essence. A good question that. I mean, I can only think <laughs> Yeboah, right? Yeboah scores Yeboah goals, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Arjen Robin scores Arjen Robin goals. That's a great question, isn't it? I, I, and then Nicky, like, you're right. There's that main Mike Mannion save, and actually, he's unsight. Like, it's an outrageous save. The more you see it, the more outrageous it becomes. He can't see that ball until really late. And of course, there's a slice of luck because it could easily go in off the underside of the bar still. He only catches it with almost like the top part of his arm. But it's it's a scandalous save. I think that and the Tamori moment are both just individual acts of, of for their team, heroism that, that turn the tide of this as well because um, it, it's, a, it's an excellent shot. The keeper doesn't see it till late and he still keeps it out. Mm. And then Chiquese's it's a great goal. It's a great finish, isn't it? And he's barely on the pitch, right? Yeah, but Chiquese's been a colossal disappointment since arriving at Milan, to be honest. He's he's been this player who I think was by a lot of people expected to be ahead of Pulisic in the in the pecking order as the as the second um winger in the starting eleven alongside Leal. The two of them obviously the, Pulisic was was wanted and, and and there were hopes for him, but I think Chiguese was the one who came in with with higher expectations and and generally has not achieved much at all. But he scored in the last round against Borussia Dortmund and he scored this goal here. And in fact, it was it was a whole combination of Milan's summer arrivals who generally have been struggling to live up to expectations because it was Jovic who brought it forward, Okafor who had the touch on to Chiguese and Chiguese who finishes it. Jovic has had a couple of goals in the last couple of games and so has, has been starting to to wake up. And of course, his whole career has felt like it's been in this odd sort of stasis since he went to Real Madrid for 60 million euros and since then basically has stopped scoring. Um, but in terms of a, a redemption arc for, for Milan, um, this was wonderful having all of them involved in the goal. But I think it also just spoke to how ludicrous this game had become because Milan just basically threw on everything they had. They like looked at the bench and said, right, you're a forward, you're a forward, you're a forward. <laughs> on you go, let's see what happens. I mean, even right to the end of the game in the 93rd minute, when Dubravka comes forward for the corner and Teo Hernandez absolutely should just play it to Chiguese so his team can score again and win the go- win the game. But instead he, he, he just takes a shot from halfway and misses and Newcastle can still bring the ball forward one more time. That that The loss of composure by everyone in the last part of the game was magnificent and brilliant to watch but I'm not sure if it 
necessarily had much rhythm or rhyme to it. It was just chaos. Am I being super harsh if I suggest that maybe Newcastle could have been a bit more savvy in that part of the game? Like because they they were because at one one they did have the Europa League spot there. No, I don't think you. And they knew that Milan had to go at them in a big way. So surely that is the point to ease off a little bit and try to expose Milan on the counter when those opportunities come around right I mean, but they just kept like being completely i do wonder how much the whole game was affected by the fact you could see people were learning what was happening in the other game the, the fact that newcastle i think realized at a certain point no we really could stay in um here if we get the win like psg aren't going to beat dortmund or at least weren't beating dortmund i do think that affected this game as well sure sure they could have been savvier but that would have been so much worse yeah. for us to watch. <laughs> so much, like, much less fun. Reminds, it reminds me of, of last season. People were saying the same thing about a similar situation when it was that group of Marseille, Sporting, Eintracht Frankfurt and Spurs. And Marseille, and people were wondering, could Marseille have been savvier? Uh, because they know they've got a, a spot potentially if they if they hang on. No, go <laughs> go at it. Full guns blazing. It did fit, to be fair, with the way that Newcastle have continually been caught out on the break during this uh, Champions League campaign, both games against Dortmund, this one as well. You could also argue that just little moments of luck have have gone against them, whether it's against Dortmund, one or two saves from Gregor Kobel off the crossbar as well. There are are moments of where, where you think, it wasn't that far away from being completely different. Oh, the PSG handball, right? In 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 that game in Paris is like oh a that massive, as well. Yeah, yes. there is that. I mean, PSG probably <laughs> sh- should have scored ten in that game, but still, that is a sickener. I would argue that for the whole group. I mean, in in this game, Milan hit the woodwork twice. True. In in Milan's first game against Newcastle, both teams could have scored. In Milan's first game against Dortmund, both teams could have scored. And and I think you could argue it. I mean, PSG. I, I think I've never seen a team as wasteful with chances as PSG <laughs> have been through this group stage. PSG could have scored forty goals in this group, um, with with some of the games they've played and and the chance they've missed. Um, so I, I think you can play that card of oh well if they just this had gone differently with with every one of these teams, and maybe that's the point, yeah. and maybe this is what we'll miss about having groups. And I will say there were a lot of very boring ends to groups last night. There were a lot of groups that meant very little, but this is the good end to a group stage when there's every team's got something that's still riding on it. Can I be a, a pedant? I think when Teo is Hernandez is running through, Chiquesi is offside because Dubravka isn't there. And oh he doesn't, God! Yeah, so he hasn't <laughs> checked his. He needs to check his run. So maybe I mean I don't know if Hernandez. He feels not the kind of player who would think like that. He, he isn't <laughs> no, the one just not at all. <laughs> shoot anyway, but I, I, I did sort of think that. Uh, Dylan, who is Barry's <laughs> fictitious son, says, "Would even Archie approve of that Milan kit?" It's a pretty. That's a, that is. A, I mean, that's a good question, and it's asked to the right person. But it's a pretty. It's a disgraceful football kit. I didn't like it. No. Well, it's, there you it's go. It's not for me. It's too loud for you, Archie, isn't it? Nothing's too loud, but I'm just saying the colour combination doesn't work for me. I, if I Fair. saw that in a shop, I'd go, no, sorry. Fine. Tim says, unlike Copenhagen's qualification for the knockout stages of the Champions League last night, can we talk about PSG's fairy tale night tonight? Yes. Uh, this was after Philippe wouldn't let us have Copenhagen as a fairy tale. Uh, they scraped through in second place. I mean, they deserved to win this game, I think. 
That Nicholas Sula goal line clearance. I know Tomori's was good, but Sula's is extraordinary. It's just wonderful, isn't it, Archie? And 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 also what's so nice is you've got this comparison between these two people who are both professional footballers, but one is like the most graceful, elegant, possibly best footballer in the world. And one, like, sort of has a bit of a pot belly and his shirt's sort of riding up as he's lying on the floor with his foot in the air. And it's like, this is glorious. I'm going to give you more details that lend itself to what you've said there, Max. Nicholas Zula is known for being partial to um, a meal at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, you don't. it doesn't surprise me. He is also known for being somebody who, when asked, you know, you, you can improve these little bits of your game who has had the mentality of being how I am has got me this far. So why would I change? And so for him to then go and do what he did last night, where the thing that came into my mind was this is somebody who last performed this action whilst performatively farting on their couch. <laughs> like he is somebody who he does not embody grace all of the time. And to see him lift his leg to that angle, you were like, really? <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was as if he was ta- doing a kind of an impression of the Call On Me video as well. Like, there are so many things that kind of come to your mind when you see it in the slow-mo. Um, it, w- it was very enjoyable. <laughs> in that half, right? So PSG had all these chances. There was that one where, was it Colin Wani was through and it was sort of like a putt that just wouldn't break. <laughs> It was like going, you were just like, he's got that perfectly. That is just going to drop in. And then it just never did. It went, it took hours. It took, it just took so long. <laughs> you, make me think of, uh, you make me think of like once Colin Mwani's put the, has put the ball around him. You, yeah. you, I just, I just, I'm now wanting to watch back the replay and be like, did he crouch down? Did yeah. he crouch down to exactly. kind of just watch it in? <laughs> Are the PSG fans shouting in the hole as soon as it left his foot? Um, and then Donnarumma makes this amazing save. Like a couple of saves and Hummels has that chance. Um, and we're still in the first half. Yeah, we're still in the first half. Question about Donnarumma, <laughs> Nicky, which Andy Brussel was saying that he, like, he is, he's got a bit of the De Gea's about him. He's not that good with his feet. And, and actually PSG have had another guy come in because he's been suspended for a bit and they've been better. And like, they try and play out and they can't because he's not very good at it. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair criticism of, of Donnarumma. And initially, there's been this sort of discussion in the last year of, um, well, I suppose less the last year, but especially the last few months since um, Vicario got to Tottenham and how well Vicario's been playing at Tottenham. People are going, is Donnarumma still Italy's number one? Is is that still a, a conversation that's not open for discussion? Um, but he can be, at his best, an, an excellent shot stopper, and he was when his team needed to be in this game. So sometimes it's, um, I suppose, different matches, different different parts of your game are more important. I'm still thinking about Nicolas Sula's approach to life and, and being a professional. I really want him to go on one of those sort of self-help high-performance podcasts and just talk about, like, all the marginal gains and stuff. And he's like, no, no, I'll have a kebab and I'll just, no, that's fine. That's what I've always done. It'll be grand. I, I think this is a much healthier model for life, really. Yeah, tip to the hat to, to Jamie Oliver. No, the, I think there was a moment in the um, Germany All or Nothing World Cup documentary where Joshua Kimmich is having a go at him and he's like don't need to concern myself with what the little fish are saying (laughs) (laughs) you should say Archie for Dortmund to win this group is a great achievement right because I've seen them so often in the Bundesliga this season I'm wondering is it because everybody in this group 
is is just not quite as good as we as we made them out right. to be. So it's the sort of group of group of serious illness. It's the, yeah, it, <laughs> was the it was the group of deathly uh, names. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think all of these all of these clubs, are, with the exception of Newcastle, who have yeah been hit by the injury um, crisis that they've been facing, I think all of them would say these are not the best versions of ourselves. And I, th- I think that Dortmund have done well. They've benefited as well from the fact that like, <laughs> teams aren't playing them in, in, in low blocks generally and they have a chance to break. And they've been accused in, in, the, in Germany of not having a style to their play, of, of playing uh, to, to also being accused of playing underdog and outsider football, of not being able to, to recognise any real plan, which I, I think fits. And the problem that they have in Germany right now is that they've got two clubs ahead of them playing much better football than them on budgets which are lower than theirs in Stuttgart's case considerably. The other one is Bayer Leverkusen under Xabi Alonso. And they are so inconsistent. It is um, Manchester United-like in terms of you don't know what is about to to come out of them. So yeah, I, it, it, it is the the achievement of winning this Champions League group will keep Edin Terzic in a job. There has been talk in the press of uh, whether he should be coming under more pressure. Uh, the CEO at Dortmund, Hans-Joachim Watzke, is a big fan of him. There's been talk of a fallout between Sebastian Kale, the sporting director, and Edin Terzic over signings that were made and weren't made, namely Edson Alvarez going to West Ham and how they instead chose to invest in Emery Chan as, as the captain. And yeah, there's a lot swirling at Dortmund and yet... Like it feels, I've never been so sure that a team was not going to qualify after two match days <laughs> than Dortmund, and then they win the group. I'm like, I'm I'm glad in a way because long may football remain unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, just for context for people who aren't big sort of Europhiles, Dortmund have what one win in the last six in the Bundesliga now. It's uh, and but I like this about you mentioned Vatske, who's. He's kind of come out and been quite vocal about supporting the coach, which is one thing I'd like to see more in England, actually, to see the people upstairs sometimes speak and sort of uh, make themselves heard. But it is such a it's such a Dortmund thing is that whilst they're sort of goofing around and not getting it done in the league, they've suddenly won a very, very competitive Champions League group that feels very on brand uh, for for an you know, endearingly chaotic club, I guess. The other thing with this group is just it felt to me like every team was almost flawed in the same way. Like every single one of these teams wanted to play quite attacking football that was quite reckless at the back. And that's why almost every game it felt like, yes, even when a team won, it could have gone the other way. Right. I don't think that any of Dortmund's games they won, they didn't give up several really good chances at the other end. And and that's why every team comes out of it either thinking, oh, well, Obviously, teams that got through got through, but the teams that didn't, Milan and Newcastle, both come away with it thinking, oh, if we could have just taken that chance there or that chance here, because those chances were there for every team. I just remember something I think I've heard Nicky say before, which is like that Pioli's been criticised in Italy for 
almost having a slightly English approach. Like, the, the, Milan play the way Milan play. They don't adjust to scenarios very well. They don't adjust to opponents very well. They have this almost sort of English Premier League thing. Or we'll just go and play our game and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that they've got them in a group with Newcastle who clearly have had that approach. With Dortmund, who are also a little bit sort of unhinged, and then PSG, who are PSG. So it's it's been a it's been a group of fun, guys. Yeah, the it group has. F, the group of fun. And here's where it ends, and we'll do the other groups of boredom in just a second in part two. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Man City then in Group G won every single game. Uh, Leipzig go through in second. We knew all of that anyway. Man City won 3-2 in, in Red Star. Pep called it a proper football game. Um, uh, he, he didn't follow Arteta's lead from last night. Fielded some kids. Sean says, is Micah Hamilton better than Garincha? Yes, I, I can't expect any of you to have huge knowledge on Micah Hamilton, considering this was his debut. Um, but Lars, he looked really quite good at football, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. It, it is. I mean, the Man City Academy, as we've read about many times, they've invested a lot of money in it, and they do seem to be producing very, very good players. Um, some uh, some end up doing things at City and some don't, and I, I guess that is one of the challenges you face when you have all this money and you can afford to, to buy everything, is that you still want to sneak these guys in. And it's interesting. I can't, there's not a lot I can say about Mike Hamilton, but I, I'd like to make the point about Oscar Bob, who is in a fairly similar situation. He's been getting more game time, but like he's actually 20 years old. Like Oscar Bob has something like eight senior games in his uh, eight senior appearances, uh, something like that. Might be, might be the thereabouts. And uh, at the age of 20, which is quite unusual these days. Usually, people kind of make their debuts uh, when they're younger. Mm. Because at City, you have a situation where the youth setup is like so uh, highly regarded and seems to be very good. I mean, Hamilton is in the same situation. He's also 20. It's almost impossible to get into the first team, but it's clearly a very good place to learn. So you're getting this sort of... Like Warren Zaire Emery is playing regularly for PSG and he's 17. So it's kind of strange to me that we're getting these sort of completely unknown kids who are who are 20 already. But... They seem to be developing very well within the within the city structure, so I guess it's fine. The other side of this of the coin in this game that sure you have Micah Hamilton, Oscar Bob, Rico Lewis, albeit Rico Lewis has been more of a regular in in this city side. You also had Calvin Phillips, and if I think back to or if I try and think of players who have had to take what is personally a very pressured penalty in a game which for everyone else does not really matter, then I'm just imagining what was going on in Calvin Phillips's head when he was standing over yeah. the penalty at 2-1 thinking, if I miss this, what is going to happen? So I was I was pleased for him yeah. that he was able to stick that away. It's a really good point. And I I mean, his his celebration was, was pretty low-key as if, as if it spoke to the relief that must have gone through him because he knows that nothing he can do is really going to change his situation at this point. So... Uh, yeah, I, 
I, I like that moment for him. You, you feel like he has to go somewhere in January. I, I wonder with, with, you know, Pep, and there must be examples of him playing players who are 16 and 17, so it might be nonsense. Perhaps, I think Barney mentioned it on a pod a while ago, so, you know, we, we sort of celebrate, oh, there's a 16-year-old at Barcelona or a 17-year-old at PSG, and, like, these are actual children put into this huge pressurised situation. And, like, what's the balance between celebrating, like, the sort of ebullience of youth and the, the fearlessness of it and the sort of duty of care that you have for young people who just aren't fully developed because they're children. And I, I'm, perhaps it's overstating it to say it's interesting that a lot of City players don't seem to get onto the pitch until they are, you know, slightly older. I mean, not that I knew anything at 20, but, you know, at some point you've got to be old enough. I don't know what you think, Nikki. Well, I think we didn't mention that first part. Lewis Miley, 17 years old, making an assist for Newcastle. Uh, Milan threw on Davide Bartizaki at the end of that game as well, also 17 years old. So it's definitely true that that, that some get thrown in um, sooner and, and in some cases make everything out of that um I don't know to some extent that feels like a, a conversation that's been around almost someone's been watching football I mean Wayne Rooney's whole sort of teenage burst onto the scene and then questions about whether or not he'd burned out earlier than he would have done if he'd started a little bit later I think those 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 things have been around football not forever but but certainly for a while but I think it's so difficult to have that conversation because it's such an individual thing from player to player because like no one would ever say that like playing Jude Bellingham regularly in the championship at like 12 or whatever, whatever age he was like when he was incredibly young, that clearly works. He's, he seems to, yeah, I know he seems to be like a remarkably mature young man, but then there are examples of young players who have been thrust into a situation who may be emotionally and, and, and yeah, haven't been quite ready for it. Like I, I, without wanting to throw anyone on the best, I mean, I think he's spoken about it. So I think you can mention Boyan in that setting because he's been quite open about how he struggled with the pressures at, at Barcelona. But I guess it's just up to the coaches to try to know the kids they're working with. There's this fetishization of using young players in teams and, and, and therefore the expectations that these young players can hit things that in reality take until they are well into their mid-twenties or later stages of their career to really have the the consistency to do. And I, I think of Chelsea with this right now, actually, that there's been too much expected from, from Chelsea um, when signing these players that they are going to click and really hit it off when in reality, like, if you think of teams who have won things with very young players, they are the exception. They are not the rule. The rule is people finding their way. And sometimes after games when we're like, we've seen the most ridiculous performance. I mean, I've seen it at Dortmund a lot over the years with uh, some of these young players who come through and you're like, wow, Haaland, wow, Bellingham. And then the next game, things don't quite go as well. I mean, not not in the case of Bellingham because he's a freak. The point is, is it's like, uh, growth equals having a bad game and then learning from that and doing that in the spotlight is sometimes going to is going to cost you and is it's it's not always explainable I guess mm. yeah um, there was a nice video of uh, of um, that Man City posted of, of Michael Hamilton as a ball boy with Pep already irritating the hell out of him <laughs> to giving him tactical advice or yelling at him he was like oh I'm gonna have this for get that in early you know you gotta learn how it works the next 10 years um, Leipzig beat young boys 2-1 they're through what, where, where do we uh, where, where do you see Leipzig figuring in this whole thing Archie in Saxony <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have uh, made the point that I just made <laughs> 
before on Leipzig now because that's kind of that's kind of the constellation with them. They've got some outstanding young players that that they've gone and signed in uh, Lois Appender from Lens uh, and Xavi uh, as well, who has been who yeah the, the way that he's able to to cut inside and whip a shot from a from a good distance along with all the other tricks that he's got up his sleeve um they're exciting they but are also they are young they are raw and therefore i think will struggle to find the consistency that is needed to either go far in this competition or indeed uh compete at the very top of the Bundesliga they did win away at Borussia Dortmund at the weekend I was there for that they did wobble quite a lot towards the end against what was a 10-man Borussia Dortmund team as well Um, but they are going in in a good enough direction that Marco Rosa won't be worried about his job even though they are out of the the DFB Cup and first time in two years because they were reigning champions for the last two years. Nice to see um, Timo Werner come on and Hammer a chance about a thousand miles over the bar. <laughs> I feel sorry for him. He's he's he he's in a desperate state right now. Whether he's able to to find a club for him to try and get back into the Germany Euro squad because he's not in that frame right now, and to not be in the Germany Euro squad right now is also kind of impressive because Germany are bad. Oh, right. They are really really bad right now. So, yeah, Timo Werner's in a difficult spot because he's barely started a game all, all season for RB Leipzig. Sounds exactly like Germany are going to knock us out. Now you've said that. That's all I can. That's not all I could feel. They'll do well to get beyond the group stages of right now, honestly. I know everyone, like some people are going to be like totally bored as soon as this conversation comes up. But Leipzig going through, obviously, is part of this greater picture of who's going to get five Champions League spots. The coefficient, and, yeah. And, and Germany have mm. been the most successful of any league so far this year in terms of their coefficient. Italy also. It's one of those sort of weird subplots that Newcastle Milan game is that actually Newcastle go out of Europe Milan despite not going through the Champions League stay in Europe and have more chances to get points towards the coefficient and and right now Italy and Germany are the two teams that would get the fifth spot but there's a lot of season left and of course if City go on to win the Champions League there's a lot of points that can be picked up by one team but it, it does still have an impact because every win you get is divided by the number of teams you had in Europe at the start, which for England is eight, um, and for other countries is less. Technically, Borussia Dortmund are able to cover up their bad league form by performing well in the Champions League, and meaning that a fifth spot in the Bundesliga might be enough for them. On the English side of things, I heard a few pundits yesterday say, oh, it's great for Newcastle to be out of the Europa League. You know, it's very bad to be in there. And I was like, you guys, you do realise what's happening this season, right? I mean, it's, a, it's entirely <laughs> plausible, I think, for Newcastle to finish fifth. I mean, well, the way things are going in the Premier League, I think that's a pretty likely outcome. And if England lose that spot partially because everyone went out to Europe, like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. Come on, Lars. There is no way Spurs aren't finishing fifth. It's just written in the stars, isn't it? Um, uh, let's go to Group E. Um, we get on to Atleti Lazio in a second. But Celtic finally won a game. The outlaw. Can we have 20 minutes on Celtic finally winning a Champions League tie? They hadn't won in 15 games in the competition. Um, and they won in the last minute. Um, uh, your mate, Larga Bielka, if I've pronounced that correctly, Lars, uh, heading the winner. Um, and just just like 
it, it seems ridiculous. It doesn't really make any difference that they won a game, but just to have that moment, because it's been so long and they've been in so many games. I remember last season under Ange and they pushed Real Madrid for a bit and they pushed other teams for a bit. To actually get that win, Lars, is just, is just a sort of monkey off their back, isn't it? Yeah, and Feyenoord are a good team. I mean, they're not the biggest name in the competition, but I've watched a couple of their games and they've played really well. So I, I wasn't able to, to see this, but I think be, beating them at home is not a is not a small thing. And I think that uh, crowd who, you know, I know it's a cliche, but they do make an incredible atmosphere for these nights. Uh, so, so having one night where it ends well, I think I'm, I'm very happy for everyone who who, who were there. Uh, Lazio are in, in second, Nicky. Uh, they lost 2-0 at Atleti. Um, they're not having a brilliant season. Can they? Can you make a case for them getting further than the last sixteen? Obviously, bearing in mind it's quite a long way away. Yeah, it's a long way away. We don't know the draw. Um, I find it hard looking at the teams they could play to imagine one of them that they'd have any hope of beating. To be honest with you, they haven't been impressive to me. Um, really, at almost any point this season, that's your. Uh, they found goals when they absolutely needed them in this group. Uh, the the draw against Atletico, which comes from Ivan Providel, the goalkeeper, going up um, in the first game of the group. Goalkeeper scores in, in injury time in the second half, ends up being critical because they go into this last game not needing to get a result away to Atletico. Uh, they left it until injury time to beat Celtic away from home. They, they found goals when they needed them and, and that's an impressive trait to have, but um, it's a team sorely lacking in quality and and the, the the fact that they're currently sat in mid-table is, is indicative of their performances this season. Rory says, if Atleti draw an English team, will anyone on TV notice that they've been playing fun attacking football all season before the game is played? <laughs> um, is that so, Lars? Yeah, they, they have been. I mean, it's... it's- it's been as well, I feel like it's a conversation we've had every year for the last like, however many years. Like, will Atleti now? They have so many good attackers. Will Simeone put the handbrakes off and attack more? And it, it does seem a little bit like it's 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 happening to some extent this season. But I do also wonder. I think some of that's just to do with how good Griezmann has been as well. Like Griezmann has really found himself. I'm so happy that he's back at a club where he fits in, and he's not. In terms of his positioning, he's not quite as deep as he often was for France, but he's definitely taken some of that sort of playmakery vibes with him to to Atleti, and 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 it's really working. And they're they're just a, they're they're a pretty good team to watch. I wish more players did a Griezmann and were willing to accept their status at, at what is a very big club, but in, instead of I don't know going and joining, say, a city for example, where you're one of many, where you can actually, at, at Atletico, you can lead the, you can lead the charge and create uh, what what is a very recognisable force as well. Well, he did for a bit. He did go to Barcelona. I know he did, but he's come back. Yeah. He's come back is what I mean. And, 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 and many would be stubborn, I think, to... Archie, I see what you're doing, Archie. I'm just not sure Joao Paulinho listens to football. Come on! (laughs) (laughs) Andy Brassel was on TV with me yesterday made a really good point about Rodrigo de Paul who's also had his hair dyed blonde so that occasionally you think, uh, you know, he's done something good but actually it's just Griezmann doing good (laughs) things and sort of way of like making yourself look like you're a really good footballer um not that he's a bad one of course uh, um group h charlie says just a moment to admire barcelona's commitment to losing that game please yeah uh, antwerp <laughs> has lost all their games um but they beat barcelona 3-2 barcelona equalized in the 90th minute uh and then let one in straight away at the end and uh just a wonderful moment for antwerp and a wonderful moment for vincent jansen last who was denied with an, an offside goal and then he got his moment yeah and i mean 
Vincent Janssen scoring and being one of the better players on the park and uh, Robert Lewandowski sort of being subbed and not doing much. That is not something I thought I'd ever see in the Champions League, I have to say. The, 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 this, this tournament is full of surprises. L- listen, this didn't matter to P- Barcelona in a sense, but in another sense, I mean, coming just off that awful defeat to Girona, this this wasn't ideal for them. And there was the story, it has been refuted, I should stress, but there was a story in the Spanish media that they initially picked a very sort of rotated squad for this and then supposedly Juan Laporta sort of lent on the manager and said, no, 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 you got to bring the big guns because, we, you know, there's money at stake here. You do get some money from winning these games and Barcelona need their money. Now, what's been, it has been refuted and they say it's to do with scheduling and logistics and stuff, but it, it's just not a good look for the whole situation. And uh, yeah, vibes are bad. The vibes are continuing to deteriorate. This ties together with the Celtic game, but I just, seeing the, the highlights of this game afterwards, obviously I was focused on other games during the game, the limbs when Antwerp score that winning goal. I, I, it's one of the yeah, most sort of chaotic yeah. sort of celebrations I've seen. And you think, yeah, they're at the bottom of the group. That's zero points before this. But for the fans, that was clearly a, a goal they enjoyed a lot. Yeah, totally. Like beating Barcelona is always going to be beating Barcelona, isn't it? And uh, 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 yeah, you're so right. And also right to compare it to the Celtic moment in the last minute. Like just the sort of relief and joy all sort of all together. Uh, Shakhtar could have got through if they'd won in Porto. They didn't. Porto won five three. Totally ridiculous <laughs> football match. Um, with with you know, I, I think the most fun moment was obviously Shakhtar's equaliser, where the referee's assistant put the flag up for offside, and then it wasn't offside. And the ref basically Porto all stopped playing, and Shakhtar scored. And then the ref went, well, it is a goal. And the lino was like, it's my fault. And, you know, at a time when referees are being attacked, like fair, you know, you sort of hope people will just go, yeah, it is your fault. But Porto was slightly disappointed at the time. But this might be a slightly dystopian idea, but I would like someone to round up every single commentator and pundit who's complained about the heavy flags. And so just wave your flag. What's the point of it? Like, just round them up. Yeah. Like, send the vans around <laughs> to where they live, round them up at gunpoint, and, and put them in the room and tie them to chairs and just tape their eyes open. And then you put that goal on the screen in front of them on, like, repeat for at least 48 hours. You can maybe feed them occasionally <laughs> if you have to so they don't die. But, like, make them watch it over and over again and say, this is why we do the heavy flags. Like, honestly, this is why we do the heavy flags. It's not complicated. It's, it's really obvious. The room that you're in right now, Lars, makes it <laughs> seem even more conducive to to you saying this. Yeah. It's such an evil supervillain kind of thing to be saying. It's great. Like, what's, what's behind those black walls that you're there right now? <laughs> to the side of the screen, Darren Cam is just eating the one sandwich that you've yes. given him for the last 48 hours. <laughs> Oh no, it's not a linesman, is it? Sorry, forgive me. It's a, it's you know, it's it's Jonathan. No, we Pierce could have or, a linesman or, you know. be in there and eat uh, a sandwich in front of everyone, where no one actually gets anything. <laughs> Very good. Even point. more evil. Yes. Uh, the next section of the podcast is brought to you by TNT Sports. This season, you can stream exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football on TNT Sports. It's the end of the group games. The Champions League will reconvene in February with the knockouts. Uh, we're going to ask the panel who they think will win the tournament, who they'd like to see win it. Um, obviously, uh, you know, caveated uh, as we said with. The teams might be completely different after a transfer window and injuries and fitness, and we have no idea. But head and heart, Archie, who do you want to win it? Who do you think will win it? I like the thought of Arsenal. Uh, I think coming back into it for the first time in a while, they have a certain energy to them um, that I think could 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 do well in the in the. I, you're, 
you're grimacing as if to say, I don't see it. No, 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 not at all. I, I sort of agree with you. I think it would be nice to see. I, I'm just wondering how, how, you know, Arteta would just sort of get wildly ridiculous <laughs> by the end of the moment. But they're exciting. They play lovely football. I love Martelli and Saka and, and Declan Rice. I, I think they could be a better bet than City this year, even if they've got players to come back. Uh, my dark horses would be Atletico right now because of that. Of course. I mean, that's like saying Turkey for the but, Euros. Isn't it? <laughs> but I feel it more than in previous years that okay. they've, they've just got that bit of quality to to knock through. I'm not convinced, maybe because I see too much of them by Bayern Munich and I see that those defensive flaws that just continually don't get um, swept up. As for my uh, heart would like to see win it, uh, I'd, I'd like to see... I'm 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 always a fan of an underdog um, surprise, uh, and therefore just because of also the way that uh, Copenhagen took it to to Bayern Munich in the group stages, and I mean they only got a point um, from from their two games, but I was was really impressed by um, the way that Jakub Nistelrooy uh, set up his team and. With Rooney Bargi as well, very exciting teenager, uh, who we should, of course, uh, make sure doesn't have too much pressure on him and is allowed to evolve and grow in the in the coming years. Um, I think, yeah, uh, it, it would be fun to see them go a, another few steps further. Wild if Copenhagen won it. Uh, Nikki? It's no secret on this podcast who I support. I'm an Arsenal fan, but I think we could be magnanimous and say, aside from City, because they won it last year, any of the Premier League clubs still in the competition, I'd be happy to see win. <laughs> Good. I think, um, you know, I, I really f- have felt like watching Inter this season, they're a better team than they were last season. They went to a final last season and I've thought they have a real shot at winning this competition. But that said, they didn't win their group. And so now there's a real possibility they run into a horrendous draw in the next round. They could dr- run into Man City or, or Real Madrid and it suddenly becomes a much trickier path. So I... I still think they could, but if you're asking me who I would stick my house on, if I had to stick my house on someone, I, I think it's probably still City, despite the fact they're having a bit of a wobble to start this season. I, I just think the the quality is there. And I think right behind them for me is the other obvious name, which is Real Madrid, who quietly, as well as having Jude Bellingham scoring buckets of goals and being brilliant, I believe they have the best defence in the league right now as well. And that's the sort of thing that, that tells over a, a season. Finally, Lars. Yeah, can I be the least interesting person in the world um, yet again and just say probably Man City? Uh, <laughs> now, no, no, it's because they're not quite themselves in England right now. But here's the thing about the Champions League. Not being quite yourself domestically in November, December doesn't matter because you can get it together by the time the knockout game start. Kevin De Bruyne is coming back. They're pressing a lot less, which is slightly odd to see, but I think it means they're going to be less knackered when we get to the business end of the season, possibly. I'm clutching a little bit here, but I, I think there could be something there. I think they are a little bit more of a well-rounded team. Uh, Stones is going to be fully integrated into the team again. Uh, Holland's going to be scoring even more goals. Uh, so I, I think by the time the knockouts come back, I suspect City are still going to be the team to beat. And that's also because... You've made a case for a few of them, but I don't really trust any of the other front runners. Like, as Archie has alluded to, Bayern are fund- thoroughly untrustworthy. Real Madrid are, you know, I can see that for sure, but they're also a little bit of a work in progress, I feel. And Arsenal, it just it doesn't feel right that that should be a thing. Barcelona are not settled. PSG are PSG. Like, there's not, like, there aren't a lot of the big dogs that I fully, like, think they're going to be brilliant. So I, I just think City will 
we'll do it again, basically. Hmm. I mean, being the least interesting saying maybe City, but being quite interesting saying everyone's shite is actually right. quite fun. So, you know, I enjoyed that. <laughs> the head answer was Man City. The heart answer is, of course, also Man City, but with Holland scoring a hat-trick in every game for book sales. Please, buy my book. Good, yeah. Buy it. Bye, bye, Lars's book. Uh, anyway, this isn't just football. This is the Champions League. With TNT Sports, you get exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football, along with the best of rugby, NBA, boxing, UFC, WWE, MotoGP, and more. Stream TNT Sports on Discovery Plus or watch TNT Sports channels on BT Sky and Virgin Media. Subscription required. Age 18 plus T's and C's apply. That'll do for part two. We'll do a Premier League preview in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, let's start with Liverpool-Manchester United. It's clearly the, the game of the weekend. Liverpool, top of the league by stealth. No one's really talked about them yet. They've only lost once this season. And that was the you know that VAR goal and, and the last minute winner for Tottenham. Man United lost this game 7-0 last season. They're in a much worse position now than they were then. So, so what is this, Archie? 14-0 or like a scratchy 2-1 win with a late McTominay header? It's a weird one where you feel like the result that this should be happened last season and also because of how freak a result that was, if I remember the game correctly, mm, it, that it, it didn't feel like a 7-0. And yet, it might even be nil-nil after 40 minutes. I may be making that up, but it was something ludicrous. No, 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 no. That, that, that sounds correct. Uh, I think that if it was possible, Liverpool have quietly been building steam for this title challenge. Um, and... I think it's more the way that Liverpool have been winning some of these these games. Uh, like the game against Fulham where they are scoring four absolute worldies, but also to turn a game in the space of 90 seconds as well and to win the game away at Crystal Palace last weekend. These are the sort of characteristics that we like to associate with title-winning teams. And... If you're if you're predicting anything else than Liverpool wiping the floor with Manchester United, that that for me would be interesting because I can't see anything else right now. No, but I suppose the interesting thing is that none of these sides at the top, you know, including Liverpool, and you're right, they have this kind of belligerence and this you know will to win and get over the line and, and win from losing positions. No one is convincing at the moment, which is what is making the Premier League really quite interesting at the moment. Um, the Sun are reporting, Lars, that Jim Ratcliffe has met with Graham Potter. I mean, I presume over the job at Manchester United, not just for a crumpet. And and I can't see it. Can you see it? No, it sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, and, and, and I say that as someone who likes and rates Graham Potter. It's just that it seems to be that he's a very good coach. And I think he deserves a lot of respect for the journey he's been on and, and getting to where he's gotten to. But it did just look at Chelsea like the job was too big for him, like the pressure and the personalities and everything just kind of ate him up. Now, granted, they were in a difficult situation, but it just didn't seem like that was a stage he was. Uh, he had the gravitas for, frankly. So then throwing him in at Man United, which is arguably a more, even more demanding spotlight, and it just seems like a horrific idea to me. I, and I, I really hope he sort of goes to a club where he finds his mojo because I think he's a good coach who does good work. But this sounds like an atrocious idea. Graham Potter at Manchester United kind of his end days at Chelsea reminded me of when Ed Miliband was was trying to say, "Am I tough enough to yes. be prime minister?" Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, I am. That's exactly it. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> and I I just think he's he's probably too nice at, at this stage. But maybe maybe in ten years 
Like, I, I think his best bet would be to not go to a Premier League job now and to go and build something in a in a sensible country, in a sensible footballing environment that is not the uh, the soap opera that is the Premier League right now. But I doubt that'll happen. Uh, Andy says, where did Jonathan Faduba get the stat that Sancho's the last attacker to score for Manchester United in the league? Garnaccio and Martial Rashford all scored against Everton. Garnaccio's goal, a fairly, fairly, fairly memorable one for what it's worth. It's a very good point. He did mean at Old Trafford. And uh, um, I wasn't really concentrating, but yes, that Garnaccio goal was quite good. Um, uh, Newcastle, Fulham. Um, uh, Autumn says, what makes Archie more happy? A five-goal Fulham victory or driving a snow tractor in Helsinki? Look, far away, Archie. You've won two games, 5-0. Um, Fulham don't do that in the Premier League. That's very championship Fulham. That's very sort of, it's March. Fulham are on the run. They're going to win the championship. They win two games, 5-0 against, I don't know, Birmingham and Stoke. It's not a Premier League thing for Fulham to do. It's ludicrous. Yeah, You're repeating what you said on Monday just without the bit that I'm going to be laboured and gushing. So thank you. That's okay. <laughs> I think, to be honest, I listened to Monday's pod. You covered everything. I, I, I was listening to... I, it, it's rare, I think, that you get... Um, fans saying you covered our team correctly but no spot on to be why honest. do you talk about our club exactly the right amount it's not it's, it was it was i i listened to it, i was like oh well that was quite good uh no the only thing i think <laughs> the put that on the, that, in the comment section quite good I don't ever the only thing i'd I, i'd add was I think at centre-back, there's been an important switch in Tim Ream, sadly, being dropped, but was was necessary just because he'd had a few too many ricks recently, I think. And physically, um, having Calvin Bassi and, and Tosin Adarabayo, they are, are quicker uh, than him and the balls out the back have been better as well. Uh, but as you said, Tom Kearney, Raul Jimenez, those are making the difference. Ticket prices still remain an absolute shambles have to continue raising that because it's it's a it's a weird thing in media where it's like if you continually raise a point then it starts to get kind of seen as being dull but also it's just the importance of it is you if you don't keep saying it then it gets swept under the carpet so i will continue to say that they it is shameless greed from the club uh, to continue to be charging these things. And then for the club to also be like, oh, well, um, but there's, uh, for Marcus to be like, yeah, but it'd be good if we could get a bit more atmosphere in here. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm, it doesn't guarantee a better atmosphere at Fulham. Uh, th- the smile on your face, Max, suggests that, yeah, come on, it's Fulham, which is kind of the point and the, the struggle. But I think you've got a better chance, at least. Are you saying millionaires with their golden hats aren't going to yell as much as people could actually afford it? Fulham fans are renowned to be all millionaires who all have cheese boards (laughs) on the train uh, to to, to any away game. Uh, So, yeah. Um, Arsenal play Brighton. Uh, It's a very good point you make, Archie, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Arsenal play Brighton, Nicky. I mean, that, that Villa game... It was different to when Villa hammered City. Like, Arsenal probably should have won that game, shouldn't they? Yeah, and, and I sort of can't imagine this game playing out like that game because Villa very much got a goal and then locked things down as best they could and, and Arsenal set the chances. But that was that was the approach. And you just can't see a Deserby team coming with that approach. Obviously, Brighton have uh, Europa League football on Thursday night, which, which makes an impact. Both teams got a few injuries at the moment. But I think from Arsenal's point of view... Uh, 
even though it's it's a difficult game because it's Brighton who are a very good team. I think at home they, they have to expect and, and want this to be a big bounce back game. Um, City play Palace. Uh, Spurs go to Forest on Friday night. Sheffield, Chelsea play Sheffield United. Feels like a disaster for Chelsea. Doesn't it like Chris Wilder turning up, getting something there and us continuing to be confused about Chelsea. Gavin says, read the last pod and Chelsea's accounts. Remarkably, it would be at least three sets, not the two you suggested, Premier League, UEFA and inland revenue tax accountants as all have different rules. A hugely exciting thought for us accountants, says Gavin. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sean Dyche returns to Burnley with Everton. That should be fun. Um, uh, Nikki, a word please on uh, Giorgio Chiellini and him retiring. Yeah, I don't know if one word to do it. He's He's been such a defining player of of being Italian and watching football for a, a, a huge chapter, I suppose. I grew up with um, the, the the Maldinis and um, and, and that era, the Baresis, is, is the first sort of great Italian defenders I was coming into contact with. And then there was this generation that perhaps wasn't as deep in its quality, but which always had Giorgio Chiellini at the front of it. And at his best, obviously winning things with Italy and, and also very much the the centerpiece or, or or leader of a Juventus team that I think punched above its weight to go to a couple of Champions League finals. He's a, a brilliant footballer and uh, an interesting character because he has such a aggressive and you were talking before about celebrating tackles on pitch persona and then you meet him off the pitch and he's he's so softly spoken. He's he's sort of this complete contrast with the, the gorilla is what he calls himself on the pitch. He's even had cartoon version of himself that he sort of celebrated and used in his merch and things like that. And then you can meet him off the pitch and he's this studious, thoughtful man. And um, it's it's a sad moment to see him winding things down, but I'm certain he's going to be involved in football because obviously he's he's had a, a master's degree in business that he's gone and done and, and he's going to, I expect, end up back at Juventus helping them. Finally, Sam says, hello, Pod, long-time listener, first-time writer. I'm writing this message from the small seaside town of Mask in the northeast. Despite our tiny population, every other Saturday at 3 o'clock comes sea fret or storm. You'll hear the raucous cheer of the Seasiders. Founded in 1954, Mask FC has been a beacon of pride in our community, serving as a hub where locals gather, friendships are forged, and the spirit of the beautiful game is celebrated by all. Two seasons ago, the club gained promotion to the Northern Premier, the highest tier of football Mask has seen. And after surviving this first nail-biting season, we're still in the division meaning our 400 strong fans and volunteers were able to continue to watch huge clashes with titans like Macclesfield and FC United and Manchester. We're in dreamland, arguably punching above our weight on the pitch, however, has had a drastic effect off the pitch, rising operating and travel costs, financial mismanagement with our now departed owner and just general costs for a small club like ours to stay in the big league have placed us in severe financial needs. Since taking on a new board, the decision was made to raise funds via a fan share option. However, the Northern Premier League have not permitted this to happen at such short notice and therefore left the club with a difficult position of facing collapse. Our fixtures have been cancelled. The league have given us 10 days to produce evidence of financial security in order for us to survive. Our fans and volunteers have been left to pick up the pieces as the thought of Mask FC not being around anymore is just incomprehensible. Not only would this be a loss to employ in the club shop, community centre staff and match day security, but also our thriving girls, boys and walking football teams, as well as our food bank and community outreach volunteers. We have a long way to go in such a short time, but if you could just share the following Just Giving page, it would mean the world. Agreements are in place to start the fan ownership next season. Survival this season must happen first. Thank you, Sam. Um, well, look, uh, thank you so much for getting in touch. And, you know, football, of course, is more than just the Champions League and the Premier League. And although we concentrate on that, we care about what football means to communities like yours. Um, so, yeah, you have our support. If you just search for Mask FC, M-A-R-S-K-E, uh, it's their pinned tweet. 
uh, or um, there is a Just Giving page as well if you search Mask FC on Just Giving. So uh, good luck to you. And that'll do for today. Thanks, Archie. Thanks, mate. Uh, thanks, Nikki. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Lars. Sorry, that was not me. No, that's thanks. not you, Lars. It's okay. I'll do you now. Damn are, you, it. are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> Can you t- I'm kind of keen to get out of here. <laughs> Thank you, Lars. Thank you, Max. Why are you keen to get out of here? Like, I thought you had a nice time. Absolute outrage. It's as if you're doing another podcast. That would be a total disgrace. You'd never do that, you massive splitter. <laughs> uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.